Committee on Church Finances. Again, just appreciate uh, everyone, especially on a day where we lose an hour. Um, I, I saw, you know, parents bringing sleepy kids in and uh, wives bringing sleepy husbands in. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it is good, good things that we're doing here together as we dive into God's Word, but uh, again, appreciate the sacrifices that uh, folks are making, uh, the interest in um, learning about uh, what God would have us to do and how he'd have us to be, uh, both individually and collectively. Um, just again, to reiterate the goals for our study, um, we want to know what the Bible says regarding uh, the local church and its finances. Um, we want to then pattern our actions in keeping with biblical guidance. Our goal is to maintain or preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Um, we've said that a lot, and just the criticality of us bringing to the table, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, this spirit of um, the, the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It can't be, I think, overemphasized. Uh, we want to make sure that we're, you know, when we disagree, um, that we're still acting in God-honoring ways. And, um, you know, in a, again, in a passage or a, not a passage, but a topic where uh, emotions can run strong, that can be a challenge. And so we just want to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Galatians 2.20, as a reminder, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we just want to make sure that we're just, in all aspects of life, people are seeing Christ live in us. And a reminder from 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 9, it is our, what we are trying to do is just be pleasing to the Lord. And so we are diving into the scriptures to understand how he would have us to be, our hearts, our attitudes, and our behaviors, both individually and collectively, so that we can be pleasing to him, so that we are pleasing to him. And so we'll uh, kind of start with a prayer here. So David, if you would, please. Dear God and Father in heaven, we're truly thankful for this Lord's Day that you've blessed us with. We're thankful for the time that we had this morning to worship you, and we look forward to worshiping you again and, uh, later on today. We ask your blessings upon us in this study, help us to diligently search the scriptures together, and we pray that we might be united upon the truths of the, the gospel, the truths of your word that we find contained therein. Father, we pray that you would give us the right attitudes, that we might be humble, and that most of all, we might be submissive to your, you and your teachings because we know that the truth is in your word and not in any man's thoughts. Father, we are mindful of the many that we know that are sick, and we'd ask that your healing hand be upon each one. Pray that you'll continue to be with us. We're so thankful for the gift of your son. So look forward to being with you for all eternity. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. So just to kind of catch us up from, from last time. So last time we looked at several different passages that dealt with either how the money, how the money is collected uh, in, the, in the local assembly and how it's spent. We made some observations. And then there's a couple of slides of 
conclusions that we can draw in terms of, so when we think about our collection, our contribution, how is God pleased with our use of that contribution? Um, and so we talked about helping needy saints locally, and we see that in several uh, different passages uh, within the context of a, of a local assembly, a local group. Um, helping needy saints elsewhere. So we noted that there was going to be a worldwide famine in Acts 11, and we see the, the saints then endeavoring to take up a collection and to send money for the, um, to relieve the saints who were going to be impacted by that. And again, we see several examples throughout Acts, First and Second Corinthians and Romans on that. In Philippians and 2 Corinthians, we also see the support of evangelists. Um, you know, Paul, um, Paul made note of that in Philippians 4. In 2 Corinthians 11, he talked about how he robbed other churches um, so that the, they wouldn't be burdened with that. Um, and then in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, the use of, of the contribution to support elders um, is authorized. And then generally speaking, then all of those things above, we, what we see is uh, when we look at the purpose of the local church in terms of uh, our worship, our edification, our sharpening uh, one another, teaching, um, we see in uh, Ephesians 4, the gifts that were given to the local church so that we can go out and do the work of service or the work of ministry, we see that the, the use of the contribution in all of those examples are aligned with the purpose of the local church. Um, we also talked about then there are ways in which the local church is limited or not authorized to use the contributions. And we noted uh, some of these, uh, many of these come from 1 Timothy 5, uh, that the family should help first. Second uh, Thessalonians uh, 3 and 10, obligation to help ourselves um, as it pertains specific, specifically to widows in 1 Timothy 5, um, that w widows uh, kind of on the roll and, and right, and so we, we need to, we can be thinking about what, what that means and we have some interpretations of that, but it seems to be like an ongoing need and support that the widows should not be um, under, uh, should be 60, year old, 60 years old or older, has a wife of one husband, and of good reputation. And I did change the verbiage on this uh, from what I had last time, just the idea that, that the local church should not be the first option relative to this um, ongoing support, that it, uh, again, families should be helping out first would, would be the pattern here in 1 Timothy 5. We did talk a little bit then at the end relative to the, our ability to help non-believers. So is that something that we can do with the contribution here at, the, at Avon? And we noted that the, the pattern in the New Testament is the contribution is used exclusively for saints. And so in that previous slide, there's just a whole host of passages. I think there's 12 different examples where collection was made for, specifically for saints was called out. We noted in Acts 11, 27 through 30, that there was going to be a worldwide famine, and that assistance was only sent to the brethren, brethren despite a widespread need. And then in Acts 3, 1 through 6, again, not necessarily a core argument on this, but just a, a supporting passage when the lame man is asking for money. Um, you know, Peter says that he has none yet. It does seem like he has access to a lot of resources that that gentleman is, is needing, um, 
and either Peter's being disingenuous or he doesn't have money for that individual was the point that was being made. So that should catch us up to where we want to go from here. Um, I'll pause here if there's any questions, concerns, comments, or anything like that before we move forward. All right. So one of the things that we want to think about is James 1.27. What about the widows and orphans that are mentioned in James 1.27? So I would encourage you to turn to James 1. So I've got 127 listed here, but uh, I do want to talk about the chapter as a whole. Um, So James 127 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So a couple of things I just want to note here. Um, what we see uh, in verse 1 is James is, is writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Um, so a, a, a group of people, um, and in verses 2 and following, what we're going to see is what I noted is that there's an emphasis on the individual throughout chapter 1. Um, 2 through 14, almost every verse is, is, is talking about um, what the individual should be doing. I think it becomes really clear also in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, verses 22 through 25 is, a, is an image of a man looking into the mirror. And then that, that individual who looks in the mirror and then it, the admonition is that they become a doer, not a forgetful hearer. That man is blessed. The doer will be blessed in, what, in his doing. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious, religion is worthless. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so when I think about what is James 1.27, what is it teaching us, my understanding from this would be that it's teaching me as an individual uh, that if, if I think I'm religious, there is a test, if you will, here in the scriptures or an indicator so that I can know if I'm religious or not. Um, number one in verse 26 is that I bridle the tongue. Uh, so am I keeping my mouth under control? Uh, secondly, visiting w- widows and orphans uh, in their distress or in their need. And uh, three, to keep oneself unstained. And so this idea that I am to try to uh, be holy or maintain holiness in a world of, of darkness and corruption. And so I, I think that's what uh, James one twenty seven is teaching us. Um, I think this, again, this chapter is um, directed towards the individual, um, not to what we would be doing uh, collectively as a local church. And so when we think about what is, what are we to be doing here in, in James one twenty seven. We are to be visiting the widows and orphans in their affliction. And I, and I know in Matthew 25 through 36, 
Jesus, the same word for visit, is used when Jesus talks about, um, I was sick and you visited me. Um, in one, Luke 1, uh, 68, Zacharias, I think Paul mentioned that last week in our Lord's Supper talk, talks about how God has visited and redeemed his people. Uh, Luke 7, 16, when Jesus raises the widow's son, um, the, the, the people proclaim that God has visited his people. In Acts 7, 23, that Moses visited his people. Moses uh, had in his mind to visit his people. And what I want to what I want to think about here is that visiting is a, an investment of self into the care and looking after of someone else. It's a personal investment that we need to be making to people, widows and orphans, in their, in their affliction. Now, it may include money, um, but per how this word visit is used in all these other scriptures, it's, it's much more. And when we use the Lord and Jesus as an example of how they visited, I think that gives us a picture in terms of when it talks about us visiting orphans and widows, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's an investment that we're going to make for people who we look around and see that are, are vulnerable. I think there's also the aspect of why are widows and orphans called out? Because they are not in a position to, to repay. And so this is something we are not looking for repayment. We're not looking for anything coming back. This is something that we do um, because there is a need and it's, it's pleasing to the Lord when we do this. Let me pause for a second. I've said a lot and see if there's clarifications, questions, comments, anything like that. So when we think about how do we understand this text, we consider the context. I see an individual focus here on, in chapter 1. I think it's when we consider scripture, you know, harmony in light of the, the last study seems to be there's, there's harmony there. The pattern, it's har it harmonizes with the pattern that we saw last time. Um, when we think, and I'm sorry, when we think about as it relates to church finances, um, does giving money equal visiting? I think what we're seeing uh, at a, a closer look of, of the word visit, how it's used other places, that it's much more uh, than finance. Um, and when we think about the purpose of the local church versus the individual, I think it fits again with what God is calling us to be um, as, as members of the kind of the, the universal church of Christ, that we are to be out uh, praisers of God, uh, proclaiming the glory of the Lord to people who do not know him. And then, you know, per Isaiah 66, we bring people back to the Lord. We're going to talk a little bit more about this um, here in a few minutes. But uh, again, I'll, I'll pause here. Yes, Robin, Mike's coming your way. So I'm interested in hearing some people's thoughts on... Um, in 27, how that these actions are worship. How they are worship? Mm -hmm. I'm interested in hearing other people's comments on that as well. The worship that God wants is this. So in Yeah, so my, my take would be that this would be uh, individual 
individual service that we would provide to the widows and orphans. Um, certainly, and, and not necessarily something that, um, well, let me just, I'll just leave it there. Other thoughts? David? I guess I don't consider that to be worship. Uh, apparently, there are translations that use that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, what you have up there, you know, religion that is pure and undefiled, or uh, I read from the New American Standard, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I would call it worship, but it would be serving and serving in the way that God wants us to serve. And I think we, you know, we serve other people, uh, and I don't think that's worship, but it is being obedient to what God tells us to do. And so it's really important. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts on it. Thank you. Any other thoughts on that? Other questions? Hopefully that was helpful, Robin. About the word religion or worship that's used. Yeah. Yep. John? Mike's almost there. So it does mention that same word uh, in 26. If anyone thinks himself to be my version says religious. I think many that I just looked at quickly said that. To me, I think of that as being a Christian. If I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some phrase this verse and others, like Matthew 25, as big picture Christianity. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, uh, a worshiper of Jesus, religious um, and, and these are, these are a picture of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was, I heard, listened to a sermon Chris Emerson does on this, and I was trying to remember exactly how he defined religious and religion. Um, and there's certainly an individual aspect to it as well as a collective, um, you know, in, interestingly enough, the few times that it, this, you know, religion used as a collective, and, and Tommy, if you might, you might know this off the top of your head, but it's like seven times, like five of them, it's actually used in a negative sense, right? Um, but this, but there is a, an individual uh, aspect and a, a collective uh, aspect when we talk about religion and, and what we do as an individual and then collective. And again, I just... Um, I think the emphasis of the passage is on uh, our individual responsibilities that we have um, towards uh, trials and reacting to those trials in faith in the first half of the chapter and then the second half of the chapter relative to, again, how do we, how do we know if, if we are religious? And this test is something that I just want to come back to here in a few minutes as well. Gary. Reminds me what Jesus told. He said, you know, giving the examples I'm going to judge you on whether you were a servant, you know, when you gave gave me a drink or when you saw me hungry and, and needed mm-hmm. clothing. You know, they asked the obvious, when did we see you? Whenever you did it to the least of these. Mm-hmm. So that, that falls upon each one of us that we will be judged on in the last day 
what kind of a servant we are, or i.e., are we living our faith? Are we living our are we living up to our religion? Yeah, certainly. Though that's another one of those litmus tests that uh, can be very convicting when we look at how that is representative, in, like in my life, Leanne. I just have this really pesky habit of going back to Jesus and the disciples. Can't help myself. And I just keep seeing them do things, and I want to compare them to the church. So I see them feed people. I see them take care of people. I see them love all the people, and they do it together. And these women, you know, earned money for their ministry, and they, boy, I mean, man, it looked looked to me like they had this collective effort to take care of people that were maybe not even necessarily believers. So maybe people would disagree that I should not say that Jesus and the disciples were the same as the first century church that were, quote, attempting to copy. Yeah, I would, I would, I would think that one way we could look at that is that as individuals out in the community in the world, those are some of those things that we need to be doing. And certainly it would be appropriate for us to band together um, to do some of those things to support the poor and the needy. Um, I think the question is, is, uh, is that what we see in the New Testament relative to this, this group of believers here? 100%, I think we need to be out helping the poor and the needy and the, the disadvantaged, and we need to be doing that. And while we're doing that, we need to be giving glory to the Lord. Um, I just don't see the authority for the contribution that we have to be used in that way. I don't, other thoughts? Gary and then, and then Boyd and Caitlin. We see whenever God started something new, he started it out uniquely with, with miracles. When he created everything in the beginning, he did that via miracles, but then he set into motion natural law where everything would reproduce after itself. It was the same with the New Testament. When he, when he brought in the era of the New Testament, he started it with miracles, and there were a lot of unique things to that. Jesus giving uh, uh, the hope of rest to the, the thief on the cross. But after that, he set into perpetuation the, the law, which is the New Testament, which... He explained to the apostles, we've been doing it this way. When I'm gone, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to remember or help you remember everything that I taught you and, and, and said for you to do and set it in order and write it down that you may know what you, how you need to act in the church or as individuals. And that's what we have today in, in the word. And that's what is our law. That's what we, we follow. Yeah, so certainly a day of Pentecost, we see, um, we see the kind of the, the, the kingdom come to fruition. We see that the church is established. And then from, from then on, right, there are some, some patterns and some things that we can look at in Scripture to say that this is how we ought to, to behave. I think that might be a, a poor paraphrase. Boyd? I, I think what we see there, too, is a picture of what Jesus would do. It, it is, I mean, you see him in uh, all kinds of situations. I'm thinking about Bartimaeus, the blind man, and uh, 
different ones. Jesus went around doing good is a statement made about Jesus. I, I would say, too, that this is probably something that we could learn to do better. We, we are probably not uh, as uh, uh, attentive to the needs of others around us uh, that uh, we could be helping in some way. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll, come, we'll talk more about that. I think, Caitlin, you had your hand up. Sure. Um, ever since last week, I've had this question rolling around in my mind, and I'm just wondering if we went about things um, sort of more like the examples that we see and collect when there is a need and disperse when there is a need than if we would even have these kinds of distinctions to make. Um, Would we have to figure out what to give out of our individual pockets or what to give out of a collected fund that just came out of our individual pockets? Or would we just be giving as the needs arise and then be living like Jesus and giving every other time whenever there's a need, um, wherever we see a need and wherever we see an opportunity to do good? It's, it's just interesting. Well, yeah, and I, I think kind of going back to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, there was, there was a need um, and the instruction then that was given to them and all the church in Galatia is that they did this every week so that when Paul arrived, there would be no collection that would need to be made. And I think what we talked a little bit last week as well is that we're, we're, we're in a situation where it's, we would seem that there's perpetual need. Um, either in terms of the obligations that we have uh, relative to our monthly expenses and or evangelism. There's always, always a need for evangelism and opportunity for us to participate in that. And so, yeah, I mean, so I think, I, I, you know, can we think of a situation where we might go and say we don't have any needs to collect for? Um, in my mind, that's hard for me to wrap my head around a situation like that because I, I feel like there's there's always going to be need. Now, there might not be acute need like a famine in Judea, right? Um, so just a different type of need. David? Yeah, I guess for me, as a Christian, I see a need to give to the church. You know, I, I think there's authorization for that. And, and like you just said, I, I think there are ongoing needs, especially in evangelism. Uh, and so I see a need to do that. But I also see the scriptures saying that as an individual, I have a need to give to those who are needy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can vary. At times, there may be a lot more people in need than at other times. But uh, I don't view it as an either or proposition. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that as Christians, we need to do both right. as the opportunities present themselves. Yep. We give, we give as members here, we give uh, to support the needs and we look at the, the needful and the communities in which we live and we help them out. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's otherwise. I, I don't want to, there's going to be opportunity for us to continue this. I do want us to, to, to continue on though. Um, so, um, so we'll have time to, uh, to talk a little bit more about this. Um, get caught up here. Galatians 6.10 is another one. If you, if you would just go ahead and turn over there to Galatians, the sixth chapter.
Um, so again, these are, you know, in the questions that we sent out, specific questions about how, how uh, James 1.27 and Galatians 6.10, um, you know, inform the decisions that are being made uh, on how we spend our money here. Um, so Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are the household of faith. And so, you know, s- similar to what we see in uh, James 1.27, throughout the, throughout the chapter, j- just a, a repeated emphasis on what our individual responsibility is. Um, if we go through and talks about the, the count the he's and the any ones and the each one and the himself alone and the one, again, it's, it's talking about um, our responsibilities in various uh, situations in terms of... Um, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Um, it talks about how, uh, you know, we need to not think highly of ourselves by looking around to others and that the work that we, each one himself, um, excuse me, oh, I'm sorry, in verse three, anyone who thinks he is something is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, this warning that we might look around, um, we might look at our own activities, at the activities of others, and we might boast ourselves or boost ourselves up, um, we deceive ourselves. Uh, In six and following, it talks about this idea of sowing and reaping. You sow to the flesh, you reap correction, uh, corruption, you, you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. And again, these are concepts that are the sowing and reaping um, in individually applied here. Um, I sow, um, and if I sow to uh, the Spirit, I reap eternal life. That is not necessarily something that we do uh, collectively. And in, in, in the context of that sowing and reaping, then, the admonition here, you know, the encouragement in 9 and 10 is that we don't grow weary for doing good, for in due season we will reap. You will reap uh, what you have sown, and I will reap what I have sown. In verse 10, then as we have opportunity, and I think Paul's putting himself with them as we, as I have opportunity, as you have opportunity, uh, we need to do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. And so as I read through Galatians 6, um, and I know this is, I know this is fast, um, and the, the, the emphasis is on the individual application, the individual warning about our own self-deception, testing our own work in verse 4. Um, and so then we, let us be the one who sows the Spirit. That's a paraphrase of me, right, of what I'm putting in there at the bottom. That, that you, you are one who sows the Spirit, and I am one who sows the Spirit. And you're not growing weary, and I'm not growing weary. And we're taking advantage of every opportunity to do good. Um, I read Galatians 6.10 much in the same way then uh, that I would read uh, James 1.27 relative to um, the individual responsibility. Mike. So two points here. Um, the first is this is where I really struggle because it seems like we get to pick and choose what we read and make application whether it's church or it's individual based on a word you or but yet we look at Galatians the very beginning and this is to the churches. Mm-hmm. James is to the scattered, which to me indicates individuals. These are to the scattered tribe of Jerusalem, the individual Christians that are everywhere that might come across this letter. But in Galatians, I see this to the churches. And I think that we do this a lot with a lot of things where we see something that is actually written to the churches 
the letter was, was read to the churches, but then we say, well, this is collective, but this is individual. And I'm not sure who has the authority or where we have that authority to make that distinction. So that's my one, my first thought, and we can make some comments on that, or anybody can. My other one is, is that when you look at 610 and this idea of do good to all or all men, this is the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 9.13 that it says when it speaks of liberal distribution made unto them, and I think them is definitely the saints in Jerusalem, and to all men. This is this word pantus from the Greek. It's the same word in Hebrews 2.9, or a variation, pantos, pantus, that the Calvinists used to say that the death of Christ was to, when it says to everyone or to all men, the Calvinists say it was only to the elect. But it's the same word. And we say, no, you can't limit that word there to, to just the elect. It's to everyone. But then when we see the same word in these applications, we want to limit it to only, well, to them or the saints and to all men are additional Christians that maybe would come in contact with this. And I just don't see that consistency there. I see in Galatians 6.10 and I see in 2 Corinthians 9, this all or this all men is not limited and it may imply that those that were not Christians also received benefit from this giving that was, that was sent to Jerusalem. Yeah, so I, I would say a couple things. I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I'm picking and choosing in terms of when I apply. I'm, I'm trying to look at the context to set, you know, how I should understand it. Um, certainly what we see in passages, particularly in Ephesians, there are, in the same letter, there are areas where we address the group, um, the collective. Uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and then there's also where we are really addressing um, the individual and roles like wives and husbands and things like that that would not be appropriate for application to an entire group. So I think that even though a letter might be written to a congregation, um, we can look at the passages and the context to see when it's appropriate for us to use, maybe have an, uh, an individual application versus the collective. Um, relative to the Second Corinthians 9 and the all, um, in, in verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. Uh, so who is them and they all the others? Well, in verse 14, it's the ones that long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing grace of God upon you. That would seem to me also in harmony with what we saw in Acts 11, that we're talking about a giving that's only, only given to the saints. Um, I grant that the translation of for them and for all is, it can be problematic. Uh, I would also say that the generosity of your contribution in verse 13, that, con that word contribution is koinonia, so it's, it's fellowship. So we're talking about those at which we would have fellowship with. And so uh, certainly I don't think we could, we could group in non-believers as those that we would have fellowship with or those that would long for us and pray for us. Um, so we've got a couple. We've got uh, Jamie and then Roy and then Tommy. Yeah, I've, I've not been able to be at all the meetings, but I've listened to them all, and we, we use the word saints a lot. And so my question, and 
I don't want to be difficult, but if a person has followed the plan of salvation and lives a Christian life, yet chooses to attend with a group with a different name than ours, are they no, they're no less of a saint. Right. I think, I, I don't know if I, did I indicate that or? No, it's just, I've just heard oh, this word. Making an observation? In the recording, saints, saints, saints. And, you know, yeah, like, certainly, saints. you know, I mean, certainly there's a, there's a larger conversation that can happen around, you know, who are the saints and who we had fellowship with that I would, um, you know, there's things in First John that we can look at relative to um, the confession that we make and the adherence to the commandments. We see in Acts 24, this common reaction to the gospel, Jesus is both Christ and Lord, and the baptism. So I think there's some things that we can look at that um, to, to inform us in terms of who are the saints and who are, who are not. Gloria. Okay, in, uh, in verse 6 it says, And the one who is instructed in the word is to share all good things with him who instructs him. I've heard numerous sermons that that's referring to our supporting the gospel, evangelism. If, that's, if this is to individuals, why don't we just write our check straight to the evangelist if this is an individual action? Yeah, and I think the context of 6 through 10 is, is there's probably a financial back, backing to that. And... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, some groups probably probably do do that, and some individuals support uh, preachers individually. Yeah. So there would be be nothing wrong with that. Tommy, in Second Corinthians nine, uh, verse thirteen, um, the word "all," which is used there, for, all men is if, if men is in your translation, ought to be a, in italics because it's not part part of the original because it, it is uh, it, it's translated that way sometimes because or, or that's there sometimes because the word all is in a masculine form here. But you do have to translate that determining on what the context is. Uh, it all must be translated in the context and there are three three times, that he has said, like in 8.4, uh, when he is talking about their work, he talks about in 8.4, 2 Corinthians, all these references, begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation in support of the saints. He says that again in 9.1, uh, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. Then in 9.12, he talks about the same thing. The ministry of this service is also fully supplying the needs of the saints. And I believe when he states in verse 13, because of the proof of this, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberality to, of your contribution to them and all while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. I believe in context he's talking about the poor at Jerusalem and, and the ministry to the saints there, and they are praising God because your ministry to them, the saints at Jerusalem, and I would say to the saints 
to, to be saints everywhere because I do think, like you're stating, some of the words in the context that are used, like in verse 13, in that, that word contribution is the same word that's translated fellowship as you, as you already pointed out. It seems to be something that is shared with Christians um, over and over. I mean, there, there are, like Galatians 2.9 is a passage I have written down, where before Paul takes his ministry among the Gentiles, Peter, James, and John ask him to remember the poor. And you find, you find things like that, passages like that, that state that, remember the poor. But I think you see in what Paul is doing in his ministry a fulfillment of that, that he is particularly the focus of the, the poor for the believers was on their fellow believers. A lot of, Brian, go ahead. Or, yes. <clears throat> so, uh, when I became a Christian uh, as a teenager, I didn't have the benefit of having grown up and hearing things and seeing how things are done. Sometimes that has worked as a good thing for me, sometimes not. But as far as it came to money, I, I instantly, when I became a Christian, wanted to, I gave, I gave so that kind of hurt. And the percentage of that, you know, it was a smaller base amount when I was younger and it's ebbed and flowed over my life. Um, I just... I just had the understanding from what I was hearing or not hearing um, in weekly worship and Bible study and everything and being around Christians that I, I just gave till it hurt to the church and then it would be dispersed to help with preaching and teaching and evangelism and, and the needs of the saints. And then probably in the last five or ten years, I realized, whoa, I heard a sermon um, from a very humble member of the Lord's body, a brother in Wichita, and it just all of a sudden I got hit with a two by four because I gave zero as a person to any other cause or charity or collection. I wasn't even thinking and paying attention and looking for opportunity to help, and that really changed my understanding mm -hmm. and my spin, and with my own finances, I reduced the all I was giving in the plate on Sunday I was still giving and contributing on part of the collection of that local congregation, but I was then free to pursue and give and be a part of people and things and, and needy th situations, whether it was friends of you know, brethren in the congregation or it was my neighbor next door or it was this thing going on in town where they were collecting a bunch of clothes and stuff at wintertime. I could do what I saw and prayed about and found. And it was very freeing. And I don't know if that's relevant to this conversation, but several things have popped up over mm -hmm. this study that makes me think I might not be the only one who thinks that I need to give my my set aside amount in my head as I have purposed in my heart all of it in the basket. Right. No, I, I appreciate that. And I've been on a similar journey in terms of um, what I thought was my obligation towards giving and then maybe even at times in my life how that justified not contributing elsewhere because I'm giving 
here, right? And um, certainly over the past few years, my understanding has been shaped better and certainly the study has reinvigorated that within me. John? Yeah, I just want to echo me too. Uh, yeah. this, this study and other discussions like this have been helpful to me in, in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this has been helpful. Yes, Robin. So I'm glad we finally got to this point. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is what I've kind of been waiting for. Um, I agree with everything that we're saying in the study, the Bible study that we're doing, and I keep thinking about what Boyd said a few minutes ago, we can do better than what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And we are to do good to the saints first and do good to all. Mm -hmm. So I need a lot more um, sharing of ideas from others or maybe even working together on things that we can do so that we are helping. I've got a good handle on what we do as a congregation. Mm -hmm. I don't have a good handle on how we can work together to do good to the others and right. be a, a shining light in yep. our community and therefore being evangelistic in our own community right. in addition to mm -hmm. sending funds far, far away where we know the work is good, right. but it doesn't really help our own community. Right. And I would just ask, let's pause on that thought for a minute, because I want to talk about that. Um, you're just a few minutes ahead. Um, but I appreciate the spirit. What's that? I know, we got we to gotta hustle. So, Gary, and then, and then we'll move on to the next one, and then we'll, we will come back to it. In uh, First Timothy, or Second Timothy, excuse me, one thirteen. He encourages us hold fast the pattern of sound words. We know that God throughout his revealing himself, he's given us specific patterns that he wants followed. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It, the, it's on us to study the scriptures and to be able to differentiate what's being said as far as what we are to do, what we are not to do, what we can participate in and not, which way the, the funds should go, whether through the congregation or through individuals. And to me, it's always in the back of my mind, Matthew 7, 21, where on the judgment day, people are going to be calling him Lord, Lord, people that have claimed to be Christians, but that wanted to do things their own way instead of following the pattern that he gave. And he said to those that did that, depart from me, you who work lawlessness or who did not divide the word correctly and did things their own way instead of doing things, seeking to do things by his pattern the way that he wants us to do it. And I certainly think that's one of the things that we try to do together as well. But individually, we are in the word. We're trying to, to learn and um, understand. And then collectively, we come together and we we wrestle with the scriptures together to see how we might grow closer to one another in the word as well. Um, yeah, um, so one, point, one other point um, before we kind of, I think, get then to what Robin was talking about um, is, so can we give or donate to other organizations from the church treasury? And so um, I, I call us back to slides five and six where it talks about what we do have authority to, to do to spend money, um, 
What I'm not, I, I, when, we, when it talks about giving to other organizations out of our treasury, I don't see scriptural authority. It doesn't seem to follow the pattern that we see in, um, in the New Testament. Um, it's different from using a service, for instance, paying postage and shipping to send Bibles overseas. I'm not talking about using a service to facilitate like the evangelism that we want to do um, as, a, as a group, but it's really around like outsourcing our responsibilities, um, abdicating our responsibilities to someone else. Like, so from an evangelizing, evangelizing, evangelizing and supporting evangelists versus we're going to donate to another ministry who's going to evangelize on, be, on our behalf. Um, is what I'm referring to when I say outsourcing our responsibilities and the differentiation from the service. So let me just pause there to see if that raises any questions. Okay, I'm going to move on, but we can come back if we need to. So we have work to do, right? So this is not an indictment or... A, um, I'm not casting, you know, judgments on any individual here. But what I am seeing in James 1, 26 and 27, that we need to all be thinking about, are we religious? And are we controlling our tongue? Do we have self-control? Are we visiting widows and orphans in their distress? Or are, are we looking at the needs around us at a kind of extrapolate that to a higher uh, pr- uh, principle? Um, are we keeping ourselves unstained from the world? And, and kind of to, to Robin's point, like if 100 people, if we each went into our communities and were l- looking to see who the needful are, the widows and the orphans, and we visited like the Lord had visited us in what we see in Luke, Luke 1 and in Luke 7 and in Matthew 25, if we, if we do that type of visiting, then again, think about the impact um, that we can have. Consider giving our time and our energy. So I've talked to a few people uh, involved in uh, non-for-profits that aren't necessarily not related to our group at all um, or anyone here, but the, the admonition or the encouragement is Consider giving our time and our energy and not just writing a, a check or giving money. Now, certainly, these organizations, they need to, they, they've got bills to pay and things like that, and, and money's helpful in, in gathering resources, but what is super impactful is when people give time. Um, talking to a, uh, or hearing a presentation from a, a group that uh, helps match parents with adopters, they want families, Right now, it's great if people sign up on a monthly basis to give money, but they want families um, to 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 give kids to, right? Um, and and so the challenge is is maybe reimagining what our visiting of widows and orphans need. And to Robin's point, how do we encourage one another and raise awareness of opportunities? Now. Granted, Matthew 6 in the first four verses about the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing, we, uh, obviously we need to keep that in consideration and perhaps a temptation to really um, deceive ourselves and think more highly of ourselves in, in Galatians 6. But at the same time, to Robin's point, making people aware of opportunities to serve, I think is something that, that we can really dig into and help one another in that regard. Um, 
So we have work to do. Um, whether we're doing a, a lot or a little, we have work to do. Um, this study has been personally convicting to me um, that I need to raise my game uh, in this regard. Um, some things are, are happening, but uh, am I visiting widows and orphans in their distress? I've got opportunities to improve tremendously. Craig? Yeah, I, I can just... I can only speak for myself, but seven or eight years ago, I sat at a coffee shop with another Christian friend of mine, and we spent most of that time complaining about a certain kind of work that was not getting done, and it was super easy to do. I wish more people would make these kinds of resources to help us appreciate and study the Bible, and uh, I, I think at one time or another, we can all consider ourselves guilty of that. The harder thing to do is to say, okay, what, what can I do then to, to fill that gap? And I appreciate um, so many others who have said, maybe it's not a lot, but I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the temptation is for us to look around and say, I wish the church would do more. I wish perhaps our elders would do more. I wish this group over there would do more. What can we do? Because if we all had that attitude, we, we'd be unstoppable. Mm-hmm. We'd be unstoppable. And this community would know us, not necessarily as the church that does, but as a group of people that is just, we are Christ followers mm-hmm. and showing Jesus in an unstoppable kind of way. God said he was going to raise praisers of the Lord throughout all generations, and that's us. And so we need to be putting ourselves in positions where we can praise the Lord to people one way we can do that is to help when they're in need. Mike? So I want to build on that just for a minute because I think, I guess the, the question is then, can the local church be instrumental in helping to facilitate those types of small groups or those types of efforts with the local members of that congregation? And I bring that up because we've got some friends that are in a denominational group um, and they are very active in small group works that their local congregation encourages and helps to facilitate as far as organizing and things like that. But it's supported by the individual people there, right? Mm-hmm. So if they are going out to give or if they're going out to raise money or if they're going out to do service, they do it as individuals, not as the church, but the church helps to, to facilitate it. Is that, is that something that we can do here that would fall within the realm of authority as we are defining authority. So I'd like one of the elders to, to maybe speak to that. While I'm talking, maybe you guys can be thinking of your answer. But I certainly think that when we look in Ephesians 4 and the gifts that God gave to the local church, it's for the equipping of the saints for service. And I would understand that to be that what, what we are to be doing together is helping one another be who we are outside of these doors. And I think certainly when we can do that together and we can be in there and uh, serving and helping in the community together, I think that's a, a really great thing. I don't know, John, if you don't, yeah. I think these are great thoughts. I just believe that as a body of believers and our primary focus and emphasis is about the saving of souls. Mm-hmm. Not that it relegates uh, physical needs to, to a lesser priority, but in the, in, the, in the eternal view of our souls, 
uh, what's going to save us is not uh, food and bellies or shelter, but it's going to be the Word of God. And I think as a, as a local body, we want to make that our focus. And then as individuals, we want to help. And we want to be that, that, that aid to others because it will also, as has been commented, give us an opportunity to share Christ and to show Christ in our lives. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it's, it's so much could we do that. I think we have our plate full in sharing the gospel as the emphasis of what we do collectively here in building up ourselves so that we can go out and share the, the, the saving power of the gospel uh, with everyone that we have opportunity. Certainly when we are sharing the gospel and evangelizing and we're getting to know people, we are going to become aware of um, kind of acute needs that they might have at which we might also be able to band together and to support those needs. Um, Hannah. I think that if, um, if we as a congregation were to bring back the small groups, the work groups that we're kind of taking a break on, that on its own would help facilitate groups within the group um, going and doing things together. And that's where it's not necessarily at the direction of the elders or the church as a whole, but mm -hmm. if my family is put in a group of several other families and we say, this month for our group meeting, let's do this and give the glory to God, mm -hmm. that would be a good way to reach out in our community as, as a collection of individuals. Mm -hmm. And certainly that's our intent is to get those started. Um, I actually have ideas collected on that. I need to review it with the elders. Um, every conversation I've had uh, with the elders has just been on a different topic over the last several months. So certainly, Hannah, to your point, our intent is to uh, restart those groups um, and be focused on, um, on prayer. And then what I want to talk to them, how can we um, equip the saints for the, uh, the work of service and, and help each other in that regard? So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, yes, Josh. I appreciate John's and Hannah's comments. I'm pretty sure I agree with what they said. Um, the, the thing I don't understand the scenario personally is what it means for a church to facilitate the thing. Um, ultimately, in my mind, um, the thing that is going to save people in the long run isn't membership with a particular church as much as it is their relationship with Christ. So us going into the community and helping people um, meet needs that they can't meet on their own opens a door for us to say, or for maybe for them to ask, why are you doing this? And what a great opportunity for us to say, it's because I serve a king, and this is what he has done for me. Um, maybe full circle a little bit. Earlier we were talking about um, what the difference is between religion and worship and they're both related to this discussion. Um, religion, 
I don't know the Greek, but I, I can look into the English at least. Um, religion has to do with an action or conduct that indicates we believe in God, we revere him, and we have a desire to please him. And a sidecar to that is the worship that we do, and that is the reverence we pay to him, and we show that he is worthy, and he is honorable, and he's glorified, and he is distinct and renowned, and that sets us apart then from the rest of the world, not just in our worship that we do in this corporate setting, but when we go out into the world and we help people in ways that other people won't do because they don't serve God, that makes us look really strange, but that also opens the door for people to know Christ too. And then they ask about God, and we are the priests, and we are the temple, and we share, um, we share the goodness of, of the God that we serve with them. Um, we, we do need to move on. I, I think that, um, you know, we, we need to keep this conversation going, though. Um, we have an obligation as individuals to fill James, fulfill James 1, 26, 27, Galatians 6, 10. Um, and we need to encourage one another in that. I think we're, we're talking about just maybe socializing opportunities. Um, understanding, though, uh, the greatest need that everyone has is Jesus. Um, and that is, uh, ultimately, that is our goal, is to bring people to the Lord. Um, that's primary above everything else. One way that we might be able to be impactful to people is when, they, when we see a need, we fill it, and we talk to them about the goodness of God. Um, so, biblical authority for things like building, the building, and songbooks, and class materials, and the baptistry, and so forth. Um, one of the things that I've said before, and I just put it down on the PowerPoint here, is that, you know, as a local group, um, this is how I understand it, as a local group, we are authorized or commanded to do certain things. We can use a contribution to accomplish those things, so as long as we don't change the thing that we've been authorized to do. And one of the things I would have us consider is Acts 6, 1 through 7. Uh, due to time, we're not going to read that, but I think everyone's familiar with that scenario where there were seven men who were selected to see that the Hellenistic widows were not overlooked in the daily distribution. Per verse 2, um, I would understand that to be pro they were uh, providing food for the widows. Um, the Hellenistic widows are being overlooked. This seems like it was a really large task because seven men were appointed to oversee this. Um, and I'm going to make a statement here. Hopefully it's not inflammatory, but generally speaking, I don't think we would take issue with the idea that these seven men then spent the collected funds that we see happening in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5 uh, to accomplish the task using wisdom and discernment. So, seems like a really large need, um, emphasis being on the need, and, and it was uh, men were empowered to oversee it. Um, you know, did they, you know, maybe they just uh, out uh, or crowdsourced amongst the, uh, the saints there to cook food and they were brought. Maybe they, maybe they purchased food because they had those funds or reserved a place or bought uh, cooking materials or baskets or things like that. We don't know the, to the extent at which they used those funds to 
to do the task that w- what they were assigned. At the same time, I don't necessarily think that we would take issue with the idea that that's how they spent some of those funds at that time to provide food using wisdom and discernment in, in various ways to those Hellenistic widows. And so, um, so in terms of, uh, I thought I had another slide on that. Uh, in terms of biblical authority then to do, um, to use money to accomplish the things that we've been commanded to do, um, as, long, as long as we don't change it. So when we think about the building, we've been commanded to assemble. Um, so do we have the authority then to purchase a building? Um, you know, we've done that in various ways over the years, you know, renting and, and, and purchasing. Um, we are, we, you know, what, one of the worship activities that we see the, the church doing is singing. So we buy songbooks. We partake of the Lord's Supper. So we've, we've bought um, baskets and, and emblems um, at times to do that. And so when we think about making sure that we have biblical authority to, to do the things and spend the money on things that maybe um, fall under this unspecified command of assemble, uh, we have a building and, and things of that nature. Does that make sense? Questions or comments on that? There are other things then in terms of just using judgment. Um, matters of judgment in terms of how we use uh, the church funds and its resources. And I would appeal to us that in matters of judgment, so we're not talking matters of right and wrong, but matters of wisdom and discernment on how we use the funds. So there's a lot of decisions that need to be made in terms of this building and, and some of the things that we, we, we have in this building uh, in terms of class materials and copy machines and things like that. And so in matters of judgment, what I see is that we submit to the elders. Um, Hebrews 13:7, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. In 1 Thessalonians 5:12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And in 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially of those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so when it comes to matters of judgment, um, you know, I think our role uh, relative to the leaders to to submit to them, to obey them, to esteem them highly, to to do what we can to make their uh, role as our shepherds a joyful role, um, to respect them, esteem them highly in love, um, and to give them honor. Um, you know, one of the things I'll just, when I was thinking about this, uh, you know, about how, how do we approach, and maybe the rationale and the wisdom and the consistency, and I was, in, I was speaking with someone else, and, and it was, you know, really took me back that, you know, my role isn't to um, in matters of judgment, isn't to, to question wisdom or, or what's the best, but my, my role is to, is to submit. Let me, let me pause there and see if there's any questions or, or comments on that. Craig. I just wanted to give a disclaimer to what I had said previously. Um, 
I very much appreciate what the elders are currently doing. Um, and and I, I, I really love this slide. Um, it's, it's a good reminder for, for all of us. The work that they do is difficult in and of itself. And whatever we can do, uh, not to blindly follow them without question. They, they don't want that. I can speak for, for our family. We've gone to them with questions. We've asked them why they've done certain things. And it's been incredibly helpful. Um, but we are in, in a position where we need to show them respect for the incredible, serious task that they've been given. And I just wanted to clarify that, mm -hmm. that, that we as our, our family very much appreciate the work that they're doing. And the, the true trust of submission comes when something's not going the way we want it or decisions being made that we, we would not do that uh, or have made that decision. That's when the test of submission comes. And, you know, it's not natural for us um, and it's not easy. Sometimes it's really difficult to submit. Uh, but that's what the Lord has called us to do. All right. So uh, I'm going to do a, a little bit of a wrap-up, um, and we're going to, yeah, I'm going to do a little bit of wrap-up, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, I think Boyd's going to come up and make a statement. I want to revisit what we started with. Um, so when I reflect upon our time together, um, you know, we've spent, we've spent a lot of time getting to uh, the point of church finances. Um, I feel like we're going to need consistent reminder and encouragement over what we talked about in Ephesians 4. Um, and that being, when we think about what God has accomplished, and we can read Ephesians 1 through 3, um, and how he has shown himself just incredibly powerful in our lives, how he has raised uh, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he raised us. And that he has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. Um, we see his goodness towards us. Uh, we see his kindness in that uh, when he raised us from the dead, that we are new creatures uh, for good works, that he reconciled us to himself, that we were strangers and aliens, and now we are in his family. And, and we see the wisdom of God demonstrated in the church where, uh, you know, we see how can a sinful man come into harmony and relationship with God, and we see the wisdom of God through Jesus demonstrating that. Um, and we see there at the end of chapter 3 that we are given that Christ lives in us, we have his Holy Spirit that empowers us. And so at, in, in Ephesians 4, what we bring to the table just in reaction to what God has done to us in abundance, is that we are completely humble, we are completely gentle, we are patient, we're bearing with one another in love, and we're eager to maintain uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Those are the things that we are, we're eager to do it, and we're working hard at that. Um, we also recognize that God gave us apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, so that, we can grow and mature in our love and unity and be equipped for the work of service. And so there is this idea of the unity of faith and the knowledge of, of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4 as well. That's something that we are, we are working together to do. 
And the great thing is, is that we are not on our own, even as, as a, a group, we're not on our own, but God has given us gifts um, in our, uh, in, in the word, the apostles and the prophets, in our, our preachers and our elders and our teachers. And so when we look at our leadership, when we look at our teachers, let's look at that through a lens of this is a gift that God has given to me so that I can grow, we can grow and mature together so that we will be effective in the world. Sharing God and sharing the gospel in Jesus with others, and we're going to bring a whole host of people to the Lord who previously did not know him, but because of the work that God has um, exercised within us, and we manifest that to everyone else, they're going to they're going to know who this great God is that we serve. I want us, um, I want us to continue study. I want us to continue conversation. Um, I think it's worthy of our time to kind of go back to some of these foundations and let this um, guide our hearts and our minds as we, as we work together. Um, so I'm going to pass it on to Boyden. Is it on? Yep. What, what, can, what can we say? We, we are thankful for these studies. We hope that they've accomplished good. We know that we're not through with uh, uh, this uh, study. We know that there will be uh, some continual discussions and so forth. But uh, 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 I, I just want to try to, to sum up some things and say some things about uh, uh, what's going on. We, we think it's very important for all in the church here at Avon to know that the teachings and the practices Ryan has outlined in these studies are principles, actually, that have guided this church since our beginning, September 1989, over 30 years. Uh, we three elders are as determined as ever to follow biblical authority in, in all that we practice and teach. In regard to what the Bible teaches about local churches collecting and using money, uh, we plan to continue to practice weekly collections on the first day of each week in order to meet needs as we understand the New Testament guides us. Now, our local treasury has been and will continue to be used uh, for benevolence toward needy Christians. And I'll just tell you, uh, every, every single person here has been blessed in some way by the generosity of the folks here. I, I've not known of many congregations that have been as generous as the church here. And, and uh, now, uh, again, we have used money in the treasury to help needy Christians. Uh, also, uh, we've used the money in the treasury to support those preaching the gospel in various places who had various needs. And also, we use the money that's collected in the treasury for the works that God instructs each local church to do for equipping the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4 and verse 12. Now, as, as we've noticed tonight and through the, throughout the meetings, but one key question uh, uh, in these discussions has been, why doesn't the local church send money to help widows and orphans in the world? 
And I, I, think, I think probably that question has been answered tonight. But the fact is, God has not charged the local church from its treasury to provide benevolence to the world, which if you, if you stop and just consider would be an impossible task. But he has clearly given this responsibility to his worldwide church, to each and every Christian who's following in the steps of Jesus. And we believe in the authority of Scripture when it comes to following the pattern that God has provided. And we believe he's provided for the needy of this world, Christians and non-Christians, by making our individual responsibility, that, by making that our uh, uh, individual responsibility. Now, I, I think it's important. That reflects, actually, what we have done in such situations in the past here at Avon. And we believe this can continue to be done in the future as we are diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and as uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 4. Now, in the same way, we will continue to follow the biblical pattern that we see in other areas as it relates to what we teach and practice as a local body of believers here at Avon. Let me, let me just mention uh, several of these. First of all, we, we sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, with no instrumental accompaniment. And we will continue to set forth the biblical principles that show that the use of musical instruments in worship by New Testament Christians is without biblical authority. Secondly, Women have not been placed in leadership positions. It's not because we think any less of the women here. We are thankful for the women and for their intelligence and what they contribute to the work here. But women have not been placed in leadership positions. And the reason is God has ordained for men to be selected to preach and teach publicly and to be appointed to positions of leadership in worship and in the organizational structure of each local church, and that's 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, uh, and, and really long more than that, but Titus 1, and we will continue to follow God's instruction in these matters. Uh, third, regarding our worship assemblies, we intend to continue to keep our focus on spiritual growth and spiritual development and a spiritual relationship, and to avoid activities that, while perhaps good and wholesome, are viewed as secular and perhaps even entertainment that's, that's common to so many churches of, of today. Uh, fourth, we will continue to emphasize the fact that Jesus established his church on Pentecost in Jerusalem, Acts 2, following the Bible pattern has taught us to work and worship as God directs his church. Uh, we will press on in full assurance that there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Now, and, and let, me, let me just say this in, in closing. We continue to be open to study these issues. Now, I, I know that some have questioned that, 
We, we do. We, we want to continue to do this. And, and we ask for your prayers and support for efforts to keep this church following what the Bible teaches. Uh, if you have opposing views, we would ask that you not be divisive with them. And if there are things that you feel need to be changed, please make that known to us elders. Uh, I, I, I just in, uh, again, in closing, we, we want to thank Ryan for what he has done and, and the hard work that he has done, the things that he's put together uh, in order to make this possible. And uh, uh, thank each one of you who've been a part of this and contributed to this as well. Uh, we think that this has been good. And again, uh, not, not the end, but uh, uh, again, God bless us all and be with us. Thank you.